ultimately, when we understand that God created time to help us with our interaction with each other, but he did not create time that it might govern us. God made time. We go back and look in Genesis. In Genesis chapter one, it says, God called the light day and he called the night, the darkness night. So the evening and the morning was the first day. That's where the clock started. But notice he did not make time for himself. We serve an omnipotent God who has no concept of time. So a year for us can be only seconds for him. Pastor Martin is inside of his sermon series, Divinely Appointed, Lazarus. Follow along in John chapter 4, verses 5 through 11, as Pastor Martin explains. Today, our focus will be on Lazarus, as you can imagine, because the story, the context that we're reading here is it references how Jesus loved Martha, her sister Mary, and their brother, Lazarus. Now, we pick up context here with them realizing their, their brother is sick and they send word to Jesus. And we pick it up after he has received the urgent request that he should quickly come because their brother is ill. Now, the songwriter wrote the song and he said, and we just sung it, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Yet, so often in life, we wonder if this is true. As, time, as the time on the clock of our expectation begins to count down, a sense of fear and anxiousness begins to settle in. The hopefulness we start out with, believing God is able and he's on time, begins to slowly wane until, in some cases, we feel like there is no hope at all. However, God is not limited or restrained by time. Time he actually created to help us to manage our affairs with one another. He did not establish it to govern over his interactions with us. Today, the story of Lazarus will serve as a case study for us and serve as a platform for us to discover and to demonstrate how God's ability supersedes time, space, and even at times, nature. The very laws of nature that he set up, he can step into a circumstance and not be limited or restrained by those restraints. And when he sets up a divine appointment, the timing may not agree with our timetable, but it will be right on time because it will be in his time. See, we, we, we established last week using two definitions of an appointment. And this week we're going to merge those two and the working definition that we're going to use for the balance of the sermon series would be that an appointment is 
a time between two parties that is set for a specific time at a specific place. That God ultimately sets up what we call divine appointments or encounters with him where he wants to reveal one of his great purposes or demonstrate his power or even show his love and help us to understand who he is and exalt his name. So if we understand that there are divine appointments, then the expectation is now become a part of our existence because we then expect that there could be, will be, and at times should be a time in which God has set up a divine appointment. But here's the thing we must first deal with. Our first point of the day, we must first deal with the crisis of time. We have to deal with this crisis of time. Because when we look here in the text, if you go up to verse number one and verse three, you'll find that a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his sister and her sister Martha. Verse 3 says, therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So Lazarus is very sick. There's a sense of urgency that they have. And they say, Lord, come quickly. Because the one whom you love is sick. Some time ago, one whom I loved was sick. And it was my response to do all I could as quickly and as fast as I could to try to get to where they were because they were sick. So when we look here and we see that Jesus hears the request and they say he's sick and it's an urgent need, come. But the Bible says because he loved them, he stayed. Wait a minute, Jesus, because when I love somebody, I want to get right to where they are to find out how they're doing. But it says because he loved them, he stayed. And not just stayed, he stayed two days. So here's something to note. The gravity of the circumstances will heighten our sense and awareness of time. However, God, when dealing with mankind, is never governed by time, although he will operate within time. Even though God will operate in time, he's not governed by time. So when something is urgent in our life, we become very much aware of time. How much time do we have? How much time will it take to get there? How much time? How much time? Why? Because of the gravity of whatever it is, it heightens our, senses, uh, our sense of time. But the reality that we see here that God is not governed by time. So even though in any natural sense, hearing that my friend that I love is sick unto death, I got to get on the first plane and get there. And yet it says he loved them, so he stayed. Because ultimately, 
when we understand that God created time to help us with our interaction with each other. But he did not create time that it might govern us. God made time. We go back and look in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, God called the light day, and he called the, night, the darkness night. So the evening and the morning was the first day. That's where the clock started. But notice he did not make time for himself. As you follow the text, you find out that he's setting up the habitation for humanity. Before he put man or made man, he, he made all these things and he set up time for them and then put them in their habitation. But not that it would tell him how to deal with us, but it would help us to understand how to deal with one another. Now, here's something we have to always be careful because sometimes we want to make God follow our timetable. And when he does it, we get mad at him. We say, wait a minute. I've been praying all this time. You mean to tell me you ain't showed up yet? He says, okay. The problem is you only know your present. You only know your present. He said, but I know your past and your future all at one time. So what you're reacting to is what you see presently. But I act recording according to that which I already know that you don't know. So in our text, Jesus reveals that Lazarus' sickness is actually a divine appointment. Slide down to verse 4. Right after he, we get to verse 3. Verse 4, look what it says. Verse 3 tells us he stayed. But watch this. Verse 4 says, when Jesus heard that he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man, the Son of God, may be glorified through it. He said, he said Lazarus is only sick that I might come and raise him up. And that's hard to deal with at times. Because when we go through something, it's difficult for us to try to grasp what it means to believe when I don't see. My baby, George, he has alopecia. And he began to just lose all of his hair. As we were praying, we've been praying God heal him. It was alopecia areata. That means just areas of his hair. That this is an autoimmune uh, disease that attacks hair follicles. So when we started praying and asking God to heal, just patches of his hair was falling out. But then it progressed to the most severe case, alopecia universalis, meaning that all hair is attacked. But guess what we're doing? The doctors say this cannot be cured. 
But we are believing that God has a divine appointment for George that he will have all his hair back. Wait a minute, Pastor Boy, are you reaching out there? Well, last week we just found out, found out that the man that was born blind, it was declared that we know since the earth began that nobody has gotten their sight when they've been born blind. And yet Jesus walks up, spits on the ground, makes a little mud, puts it on his eyes, say, now go wash. And the Bible says he went and came back seeing. If there's never been a case, if there's never been a case of alopecia being healed, then now it's time to set up our faith and say, God, I know what you are able to do because you are God. And even nature submits to you. There's no natural way to heal him, but our God is not natural. He's Come on and help me preach today. Because if we understand that he is a God who is a supernatural God, he steps into that which is natural or unnatural and does the supernatural. So, another note. With God, the graver the circumstance, the heightenedness or the heightened sense of his glory is revealed. The bigger your problem, the more he gets glory when he solves it. The bigger the situation, the more he gets glorified when he steps in and does what seems impossible. The songwriter said God specializes in things that seem impossible. And he will do what no other power can do. So the, the blessing we see here is that when God sets up a divine appointment and is not on the timetable that we were hoping for, it's for us to continue to maintain faith and trust while we keep on waiting. But oftentimes, that, that's, there's a crisis that happens because, point number two, delay is not a lack of love because that's one of the first things we ask God. If you love me, if you love me, you would already have shown up. And why are you waiting? And so we begin to have this moment of crisis or what I would call a faith crisis. And if you have not had one, you will have one. Keep living. You will have a moment of faith crisis. And what that means is that you'll have a time in which your faith doesn't line up with your circumstances, and you're trying to understand how do I maintain one while watching the other. Yes. Then the Apostle Paul declares we walk by faith and not by sight. Look at verse number 5 and 6 in this same 11th chapter. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. 
But here's the key, operative term. He loved them so, comma. He loved them so he stayed. I just demonstrated that, hey, when someone's ill, you go rushing in. Hey, what's going on? But he said, it says he loved him so he, when he heard he stayed two more days in the place that he was in. One more note. There are times that God delays because he's wanting to give you a distinctive blessing. It's because if you feel a pain, you got something going on, you would say, hey, I got something going on. Something's going on, it's out of order, I'm not sure what's happening. Then you go to the doctor and they give you the prognosis. He says, okay, oh, that's what's going on. Now, when you first felt the something going on, you could have prayed, began praying, God, heal me. Whatever it is, heal me. But what kind of testimony is that? You say, hey, I felt something, but God healed the something. It's only when you can testify of what exactly God healed you from, not the something, but the thing. Because now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that's in us, we have to know what he's getting glory out of. So when we look here, we see that God waited because he could have sent word. The same messenger that came to tell him Lazarus is sick unto death, he could have said, go tell them he will not die. But he wanted to make sure that when he arrived on the scene, there could be no doubting that he was the one who just did something that nobody else could do. So he stays two days, and when he finally gets there, he's dead four days. And even when he begins the process of his miracle, they say, Jesus, do you really want to open up? I mean, I just, I mean, we, we trust you and all, but do you want to roll the stone away? I mean, it's been four days. He's probably stinking. He delayed because he was setting up this particular blessing, this particular healing, this particular testimony. So when we find ourselves struggling with God's delay, stop and just say, God, wait a minute. You must be waiting to set me up for a distinctive blessing unlike anyone else's story that I may be able to tell my testimony. Last point for the day. We understand that Lazarus' sickness was a divine appointment. The third point for the day is that there were other appointments as well. Okay, let's stop. Uh, first, we're going to start with the disciples. The disciples had a divine appointment. Their divine appointment was God wanted to increase their faith. 
If you would, slide down to verse 14 and 15. Look what Jesus tells them. He says, listen, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So he says to them, he says, our friend Lazarus is sick. They said, well, Lord, if we're sick, let's just go wake him up. He said, let me just tell y'all, you're missing the point. He's dead. But look at verse 15. He says, and I'm glad for your sake that I was not there that you may believe. He tells them this sickness has a divine appointment for you all. That your faith might be increased. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there that I might increase your faith. Okay. The next appointment was Martha's appointment. Martha had a divine appointment because Jesus was going to, through this sickness, bring clarity to her understanding about resurrection. She responded when Jesus asked, do you believe your brother will live again? Martha got theological on her, on Jesus. He says, uh, yes, you know, Lord, we do know that we'll all rise in the resurrection. Jesus says, okay, I got you. Slide down to verse 25. And Jesus said to her, Martha, wait a minute. I know you know a few things about this resurrection thing. But he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live again. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that, Martha? So now he brings clarity to her understanding because in verse 27, look what, what she says. So she responds back to Jesus in the affirmative. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. He helps draw out a better sense of understanding for Martha. The third appointment was Mary's divine appointment. And in Mary's case, God wanted to reveal his love. If you go up to verse number two, John identifies this Mary as the alabaster box Mary, who breaks this alabaster box and pours the oil and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. This is that Mary. She had poured her love on him. He said, let me reveal my love to you. Here, uh, she had previously done something that showed love for Jesus. Jesus wanted to reveal God's love in this situation. Let's look at verse number 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, theologians differ on what he's groaning about because that term actually means uh, he was like agitated. 
or irritated. So some theologians will say that he was irritated or agitated with the insincerity of those that were around grieving. There were those that say that he was actually angry at the reality of the result of sin that creates death. We're not going to try to pick God's brain on that because he did not reveal in Scripture why Jesus groaned. However, I do want us to see this. Verse 35, shortest verse in all of Scripture, it says, Jesus wept. There was a young man, he said, boy, I'm excited. I learned a new Bible verse. I said, amen, praise God. The Lord, Lord's blessing you with the word. He said, yes. John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. I said, Amen. You're shooting low, aren't you? you? You're bringing the bar way down. But Jesus weeps because it says that he groaned, and then he said to them, show me where he's laid. He arrives and he weeps. Now, he weeps knowing he's getting ready to raise him up because remember how she greeted him. She said, Lord, the one whom you love. They understood that there was a love that Jesus had, so Jesus wanted to show his humanity, recognizing that they needed to know that he also hurts, just like they do. So he weeps. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? See, they revealed, they said, whoa, man, he really did care about this guy. Because the inference was that this is the one you loved. And that he wasn't just there detached. Because you need to understand, many of the religions of the world treat God as this far off, distant, unknowing God. But God has revealed himself through Christ as being a God who wants to be in personal relationship with mankind. So he's not just this God who's untouched with our emotions, but he's able because he's tempted on every side. In moments of grief, of grief we sometimes question God's love. But Jesus shows his love. And they respond by saying, look how much he loved. The next one, there's a divine appointment for the weepers who were tagging along. We just hear from them because some of them acknowledge, wait a second, he loved him. But we find out that their divine appointment was to actually inspire saving faith. Slide down to verse 36. 37, and then we'll jump down to 45 because this is, then the Jews said, somehow, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? So they had some, they had some knowledge of who Jesus was, but they had not moved from believing in who he was to saving faith. But after Lazarus is raised, go 
go to verse 45. Then it says that then many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. They went from hearing about him to knowing him. They, they went from hearing about what he had done to seeing what he can do and then putting their faith in him. They, their divine appointment was a saving faith that God would show them something. He drew them in by showing his love. They say, mm, look how he loved him. But he helped their faith by demonstrating his power. They said he could have kept him alive. But what a greater testimony to know that he could have kept him alive. And then to find out he raised him back up. And then finally, the last divine appointment is Lazarus's. That God wanted to reveal his power. Verse 42. And I know this is Jesus talking to the father. He says, Father, I know that you hear me. You always hear me. He said, anything I, I, I'm saying, you're there. But look what it says. But because of the people who are standing by, I'm saying this, that they may believe that you sent me. He said, listen, I didn't have to set it up like this, but I set it up like this that they might see and believe. Verse 43. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Heard the preacher say, mm, that's, that's tune-up time. You know that? Well, uh, in that moment, uh, well, where he said Lazarus, had he not said Lazarus, come forth, everybody in the graveyard would have got up and walked out. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And verse 44 says, and when he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes on, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said one thing, loose him. Let him go. See, the reality of God wanting to reveal his power or demonstrate his love or help someone to better understand who he is through exalting his name. It's a divine appointment that God arranges for you to be there at this moment, at this time, that he might that wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed. <laughs>